Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. The most important message that you'll ever hear concerns Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. And when we look at his work the first time he came, we see that he did three important things that relate, of course, to that only saving message known as the gospel, the good news concerning redemption. And those three things that we focus in on are the death, burial, and resurrection. Well, we are studying in the book of Matthew, and we concluded last time what Matthew reveals concerning the death of Messiah upon that cross, how he cried out in a loud voice immediately before giving up his spirit before his death. And we're going to see next week in our study that we're going to begin focusing in on the resurrection. So what are we going to look at in this week's account? The burial of Messiah and the important things surrounding how he was buried, what the scripture chooses based upon the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what the scripture reveals to us about his burial. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Matthew and chapter 27. The book of Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to begin with verse 57. In this 57th verse, we're going to see that there is an important word, and that word is evening. Now, in the Greek, we see that it relates to the Hebrew character of the scripture. You see, the word in Hebrew, erv, which we translate evening, has a little bit broader meaning than our English understanding. We think of evening, we think that the sun has, has set, there still may be some light, but it's clearly getting dark outside. But both in the Old and New Testament, when that word evening appears, it's speaking about a time that begins in the later afternoon and goes into when the sun sets and until it is completely dark. So here we see an event that begins shortly after he was, was dead upon that cross. We know that he gave up his spirit approximately in the mid-afternoon, at three in the afternoon. And so we're dealing with the next hour or two thereafter. And what happens? Well, let's begin verse 57. And becoming evening, so it's that process of getting darker and becoming evening time, a wealthy man from Arimathea, he came, and this one was named Yosef. 
Now, of course, we're speaking about Joseph of Arimathea. Let me ask you a question. What do you know about this man? Well, one thing we know is that he was wealthy. Secondly, we learn in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 23, that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. So not only was he a wealthy man, he was a significant and important individual, being part of that ruling council for the Jewish people. Now, the scripture says something, and many times people like to try to say, to discredit the authority of the word of God, that there are things that are conflicting, things that don't agree. For example, we see that the Sanhedrin, they reported their, their verdict concerning Yeshua unanimously. But in Luke's gospel, we find that there was two men, Joseph of Arimathea, who we're speaking about now, and Nicodemus. These two men on the Sanhedrin did not agree, the text says, with their action, with this verdict. So do we have a conflict? Not at all. What you, many people fail to understand is this. The Sanhedrin had a protocol. As long as there was a majority, then they reported their, their outcome, their decision, as a unanimous decision. So one vote more than 50-50. It was reported as unanimous, but in actuality, it didn't have to be. It's just how they shared their decision publicly. So we see that these two men, who we're speaking about now, Joseph of Arimathea and also Nicodemus, they did not agree with this verdict to put Messiah to death. And why didn't Joseph of Arimathea? Well, we have the reason right here. Because it says, who also he, and this makes it emphatic, it's emphasizing, who also he being a disciple. In the same way that Nicodemus believed in Yeshua, so too did Joseph of Arimathea. And we know that Joseph, he did something. We read in the next verse, verse 58, not only was he a disciple of Yeshua, but he acted on this faith that he had because this one, he went before Pontius Pilate and he asked the body of Yeshua. Now, if you're looking at the text from a translation based upon the Textus Receptus, what I believe is the best Greek manuscript for the New Testament, they are going to speak of, and the King James is a good translation for bearing this out, the term the body, the body of Yeshua, is going to be referred to three times in this verse. And that's significant. Some of the other translations that don't tend to pay close attention to the original, they, because of redundancy, they don't always mention the body three times, most just twice. But in the original, in the Greek text, the best manuscripts, it has the body of Messiah being referred to three times. And why is that so important? Because next week, we're going to see that the focus is the resurrection of Yeshua. And just like he died bodily, 
upon that cross. It wasn't that he just seemed to die. His body was dead. And also, we're going to see that he rose bodily. Why is that so important? Because there are theologians that are faithless. Now, they may teach at wonderful, prestigious universities and theological institutions, but nevertheless, just because they have a position that is prestigious doesn't mean that they are men of faith. Some teach that, that it was the teachings of Messiah that seemed so real after his death that, that that's what the resurrection in the Bible is speaking to that the disciples came to a new appreciation for his message. Well, that's not the resurrection. The resurrection is that Messiah rose bodily from the dead. And this is why we see, look again at verse 58. This one came before Pilate. He asked the body of Yeshua. So he requested the body of Yeshua. Then Pilate, he commanded to give to him the body. And after receiving the body, now you can see that it's redundant. But again, the emphasis is on the body. And here, the implication is the corpse, the dead body of Yeshua. And we find furthermore, look now to verse 60. And it says, and he, and this is Joseph of Arimathea, but we know from Luke's gospel that he received some assistance. That Nicodemus, this one whom went to Yeshua by night in a very, very quiet way, not wanting others to know of his faith, but Nicodemus, he grew in his faith. Now he's doing something publicly. He is publicly assisting Joseph of Arimathea in regard to the burial of Yeshua. And we read here, look again at verse 60. And he set him in his new tomb, which we find out that he had cut out, and it says, of the rock. So this is a tomb that was hewed. It was carved out, chiseled out from the rock. Now, Joseph, he built this very significant tomb. What did we, we learn about Joseph of Arimathea? The first thing that is said about him, that he is a wealthy man. Now, I have seen tombs from that period of time. And if the tomb that is traditionally viewed, the garden tomb, if in fact this traditional place is indeed the right location, we see that there's no question this tomb is a wealthy man's tomb. It fits all the information that the scripture provides throughout the other gospel accounts concerning Yeshua's tomb. Whether it's literally the tomb or not is not important. What is important is, and you know what I'm going to say, is the fact that he died literally and he rose bodily from whatever tomb he was in. But we know that that tomb that he was literally in belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, which he had hewed out, cut out from the rock. It says later on in verse 60, and he did something. And he rolled 
a great stone to the door of the tomb. And after doing that, it says that he departed. So Joseph here is the one that Matthew emphasizes because of his prestigious position on the Sanhedrin. And by the way, let me share with you that Nicodemus also was an important man. Many times that I hear Christian teachers not really emphasizing something about him. But if you look, and this may be a little bit of a tangent, but it's important for us to know this. And that is when you look at John's account, John chapter 3, when Yeshua and Nicodemus had this famous conversation, you know what it says? When Yeshua was speaking, and he was speaking about some important tradition, about immersion, about burial, about resurrection, Nicodemus was confused by this. And Yeshua says, and you are, and here again, if you don't use a, a Bible that is a serious translation, it leaves some words out. Because Yeshua says literally, and you are the teacher of Israel. Now, most translations simply say, and you're a teacher. It's not a. The definite article is there. Why is that important? Because there was a title. When you were called the teacher of Israel, it tells us of about an important role that Nicodemus had. That he was the teacher among the Sanhedrin. He was a very well thought of individual. A very intelligent man, but when it comes to the message of Messiah, all that education didn't assist him in knowing the simple truths concerning what the word of God spoke of, what the prophets foretold, and what Yeshua was sharing with them. So we see in this scripture that after rolling the, the stone to the door of the tomb, we find that Joseph, he went away. Verse 61. And there was there, and the emphasis is going to switch, from Joseph of Arimathea to some women. And as we saw last week at our conclusion, it repeats again that women are going to be the focus. We certainly see that in regard to the resurrection account. Who went to the tomb early that first day of the week? The women. And this is to remind us because, as I've said before, whenever women are the focus of a biblical passage, the emphasis of that focus is to remind the reader of one thing, and that is redemption. And therefore we find that he died for redemption. He was buried for our redemption, and he's going to rise from the dead once more for our redemption. But look at the text, verse 61. But there was there Mary Magdalene, also the other Mary. And what were they doing? It says they were sitting opposite the tomb. Now, this again, this word for opposite probably parallels the Hebrew word mul, which means across from. That is, they witness everything that happened. We saw they were there at the crucifixion. 
We know that Joseph of Arimathea, he went and requested the body of Messiah, his corpse, to bury him. And they were there as well. They saw it all with a desire. And what was that desire? Well, even though Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, according to Luke's account, prepared Yeshua's body and buried his body, prepared it, putting it into the tomb and sealing that tomb, we know something. The women watched that and because of something. And Luke's gospel emphasizes this. Time was running out because this was, as we'll see in a moment, preparation day. Now, I want to emphasize this because preparation day is another term for Passover. Passover is known as the preparation day because you prepare the lamb, the one that was offered up which you would eat that night, which is a new day. Why? Because... With the setting of the sun begins a new day in the biblical account. Now, now don't believe the, the misguided teachers that say that the Galileans observe the Passover a different day than the Jewish people in, in Judea. That's a false teaching. Nowhere is that taught. And people will say the Mishnah says it. No, what the Mishnah says is this that there was a difference not in the day, but one aspect of observance. Now, according to the Mishnah, Passover day, that 14th day of the month of Nisan, the preparation day, was a fast day among the people of Israel. And on fast days, there was a dispute. Those in the Galilee said, that you shouldn't do any work whatsoever on a fast day. It was not from the law of God, but they viewed it as a proper thing to observe, not doing any work. But those in Judea said, you can do work on a fast day up until the noontime. And in regard to the 14th day of Nisan, those in Judea simply said, you can do work up until the time of the Passover sacrifice. So it didn't change the day. It only changed some of the practices, what one would or would not do on this 14th day. But for every Jew, Passover is the same day. Now look at the text. We see here that it was these women who saw everything. And they apparently, and again, Luke's gospel offers some additional information. And that is when they saw the manner which Joseph and Nicodemus buried Yeshua because of hurrying to put him into the tomb before the high Sabbath. Not the normal Sabbath day, what we would call the seventh day of the week. Meaning this didn't happen on Friday, but rather it happened on the 14th day of Nisan, which that year had to be a Wednesday. And therefore, they were hurrying to put him into the tomb before sundown because sundown would have been the 15th day of Nisan, which was the first day of unleavened bread, which is a high Sabbath. It's not the seventh day of the week, but a special high Sabbath, a holiday Sabbath, which the laws of observing it in regard to work were the same for 
the seventh day Sabbath. Look, if you would, to verse 62. We read here, but, and most Bibles say, on the next day, but it's really because of, on account of the next day, which is after the, the preparation. And that's what it says here in verse 62. And the preparation, again, this is just another term biblically in the New Testament that is used in order to describe Passover. So for the sake of the next day, which is after the preparation day, we find that the high priests and the Pharisees, they were gathered unto Pilate. And everyone would be observing this 15th day of Nisan, the first day of unleavened bread. People would, would stay at home. They would be at the temple. Or they would simply be around their, their location of where they were observing the festival. But things would be closed. It would be a quieter day. And these Pharisees and the high priests, they were concerned of something. Why? Well, they were before Pilate and they were saying, Lord, very significant. Now, this word can simply mean sir. It's a term of respect, but there's other ones that could have been used. The fact that they used this one shows that they were trying to give great respect to Pontius Pilate. And they had no respect for the Son of God. They were saying, Lord, we remember that this deceiver, that one who was a deceiver, said while he is alive. Now, I highlight, highlighted in my account what I'm reading, this thing where it says, he said while he was still alive. Why is that important? Well, this emphasizes that he, and they understood this, he died. There's no question that Messiah died upon that cross. So they were saying, this one, this deceiver, meaning Yeshua, he said when he was still alive, that after three days, he would rise. And they were concerned about something. And what was that? Well, they were concerned that something would take place. They were concerned that because he said after three days he would rise, they were concerned that his disciples, lest they come his disciples at night and steal him, meaning steal his body, and they would be saying to the people that he has risen from the dead. And then they said the, the last deception would be greater than the first. What was the first they were thinking? That he was the son of God. That he was the Messiah, the Christ. They did not see Yeshua as the one that he truly demonstrated himself to be. And they were concerned about his, his followers, his message spreading forth. So they wanted to do something. Notice what it says in the text. Now verse 65. And Pilate. Pilate said something to them. Pilate said to them. You have a guard. Go away and secure. Meaning secure the tomb. As you know. Now this gave them. Absolute freedom. To secure the tomb. So. No one could steal the body. And when they said secure the term, 
tomb, what we find here is that they meant by a, a guard. And we know that there was a Roman guard that was assigned to watch that tomb, secure it, that no one, no one could steal his body. But nevertheless, they were so concerned about this proclamation of the resurrection. They did everything according to their know-how, and Pilate says, you know how to do it. They did everything so that there would be no way that the proclamation concerning his resurrection would be able to be made. And therefore, look at our last verse, the last verse in chapter 27, it says, and they went and they secured the tomb. And they secured it, how? It says, having sealed the rock. Now what does that mean? Well, this has great significance because when it says earlier they secured the tomb, that's with the soldiers, but they did something else. They put a seal upon the stone, that large stone that was there. And why was that important? Because anyone who were to break that seal would be in violation of Caesar's law. Breaking the seal of Caesar would bring about a death sentence. So I want to emphasize that when we look at the burial of Messiah, we find that he, his body, was placed into that tomb. That's emphasized three times. And we find that his tomb was totally sealed. And the best way that people knew how to do that, 2,000 years ago. And they did it with a threat by sealing the rock, putting that seal of Caesar upon the rock. It was a threat. Don't touch this tomb. The chances for faking, conjuring up an event saying that he rose from the dead would be impossible. And this is what's being emphasized concerning the burial of Messiah. So once again, look at our last verse, verse 66. And, and went, they went and they secured the tomb, sealing, putting the seal upon the rock. And it says, with the guard, meaning with this Roman guard of multiple soldiers that worked in shifts around the clock. So no one could even approach that tomb. What the scripture is saying to us, and this is what I want to conclude with at this time, and that is the Roman Empire, under the advice and the request of the Sanhedrin leadership, they wanted to do everything to make sure that there was no possibility that anyone could proclaim that he had resurrected from the dead. This was the last thing that they wanted anyone to believe, to have reported. And what are we going to see next week when we begin this final chapter of Matthew 28? It is going to focus in on the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua. Now, of course, his death is important. He couldn't have risen without first dying. But it's the resurrection that gives our faith that power, that authority that speaks about kingdom 
life. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.